talking about mental illnesses, particularly in our secondary school, collegiate, and elite student-athletes. Some of the things that we talk about in today's podcast and throughout the, the readings this week may not necessarily be applicable for the general population or uh, the other settings that athletes are working in, but the information can certainly help you understand how to identify uh, and refer a patient to a mental health professional. First thing we really need to do is understand what the definition of a mental illness is, as well as understanding what mental health is. Mental health is defined as the successful performance of mental function resulting in productive activities, fulfilling relationships with other people, and the ability to adapt to change and to cope with adversity. A mental disorder is a syndrome characterized by chronically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotional regulation, or behavior that reflects a dysfunction in the psychological, biological, or developmental process underlying mental functioning. A mental disorder is usually associated with significant distress or disability in social, occupational, or other important activities. As we think about mental health issues within our, our traditional patient population, we need to understand the prevalence. Uh, in recent studies, we've learned that nearly one in three adolescents meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder. 20% are affected by behavior disorders, 14% experience mood disorders, and 11 have substance abuse disorders. The development of the most recent position statements, both for collegiate and secondary school student athletes, they were developed to help practitioners. Uh, learn to identify the triggers, uh, the behaviors that their patients might demonstrate, and to help them develop a plan for management. Uh, we consider that most of the material you're covering or reading this week should really, uh, you should focus your attention on how to develop a plan for managing these issues. Without a plan, it's very difficult to meet the needs of your patients, as well as put, it puts you at, at a risk for legal um, legal issues, considering you have an obligation to uh, be able to identify these issues as well as refer the patient when necessary. Um, so I do think it's important to approach the, the reading from a perspective of development of a plan and a, a teamed approach to uh, referral and, and patient care. So when we consider kind of the most common uh, triggers to the development of uh, psychological concern, um, we know that long-term rehabilitation, season-ending injury, or even career-ending injury can cause uh, or be a triggering event for, for a psychological issue within our patients. I think one of the things that's really interesting in the study regarding uh, return to play after ACL reconstruction, they talk about three different uh, frameworks for how patient might respond to these issues. The first is the fear avoidance model. In this model, patients experience a recurrent painful stimulus, an exaggerated negative psychological response to pain, and the anticipation of pain leads to an active avoidance of movement. So, when we think about those two student athletes who are recovering from an ACL reconstruction, and they're not recovering at the same rate. Part of that may be associated with the fear associated with returning to play. One of those athletes may be choosing not to do certain movements 
because of that fear. And that could be really prohibiting them from returning to activity. There is a tool called the Athlete Fear Avoidance Questionnaire, which may be helpful in, in helping to identify some of these fears within your patients so that you can work through that, those issues together. Then there's the, um, the theory of self-efficacy, where self-efficacy, optimism, and self-motivation are considered to be stable traits, are uh, intrinsic factors strongly associated with higher rates of task completion and rehabilitation and exercise adherence. So the idea that um, if I perceive myself as effective, if I have a positive point of view, and if I am motivated, uh, I have a higher likelihood of tasks and adhering to my rehabilitation. The last kind of framework is the stress health and buffering hypothesis of social support. In this model, psychological stress is believed to globally affect physical and mental health, and an individual's degree of social support is believed to uh, modulate this effect. Essentially, what we're saying is that the um, patient needs a support network to return to activity, and I think this is something that we've talked their teammates, needs their, um, needs their colleagues, it needs their roommates to help them uh, improve and return to activity, and that social network is important. So the major concerns are when somebody has a career in an injury, and if they are separated or separating from the team, as well as retirement, um, when we talk about the elite athletes, this will be um, kind of more important, the social system has a tendency to fall away.
depression and anxiety. In the patients experiencing depression, you want to look for a lack of energy, loss of interest in activities they previously enjoyed, a sad mood, decreased performance of tolerance for, a loss of appetite, or eating more than normal, problems sleeping, recurring thoughts of death, suicide, or suicide attempts, problems concentrating, remembering information, or making decisions, and unusual gravity. Anxiety disorders is that they are often concomitant, which means that they occur with another mental health disorder. So you may see additional signs and symptoms in addition to these. So anxiety disorders, individuals feel apprehensive, powerless, there's a sense of impending danger, panic or doom, they have an increased heart rate, they breathe rapidly, sweating, traveling. Suicide thoughts or behaviors. And again, the, the major concern or one of the things we want to kind of think about is that these individuals will likely have another associated uh, mental health issue. When we start to consider the elite athlete, uh, what, what we've learned from the literature and the available systematic review is that elite athletes experience a broadly comparable risk of mental disorders like anxiety and depression relative to the general population. This is uh, these subgroups that are these subgroups that are more vulnerable include those uh, in a retirement phase of their career with those experiencing performance failure. When we talk about specifically eating disorders, we know that athletes who have are required to participate in the sport with uh, required lean body shape or female athletes are more vulnerable to these eating disorders. We know that a low social support system is linked as a key risk factor for general mental health issues. We also know that substance abuse is not a major concern for elite athletes, uh, particularly when they're in season, and part of that is associated with the repetitive drug testing associated with their sports. As you approach the reading this week, I really want you to Think about the differences in our student-athletes, the variability in their ages and the pressures placed on them at the, at the various points in their athletic career. The secondary school athlete uh, may be an area where we can actively uh, prevent or uh, engage in early intervention. We do know that the diagnosis of mental health issues is increasing and then college age uh, and just a little bit older athlete. And so um, trying to identify the characteristics of the triggering events and the behaviors in secondary school athletes can help us in treatment later on in their kind of athletic career.